Okay. Praise Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Praise Jesus. Last week I had prepared to preach this message, but obviously the Lord had different plans, or at least I thought he had different plans. You'll have to decide whether he did or not. But yes, praise Jesus. We're back to Romans, and uh, I believe, although it wasn't confirmed, I believe Rob Wright is going to speak here next Sunday, so be ready for that. And then uh, in the morning, I will be doing my customary uh, communion message this coming up Sunday morning. Usually it has been after Thanksgiving, but uh, Pastor Benji was gracious to let me flip on him because... Uh, you know, somebody, you know, not important like my mom needs me to go down and do some work for her. Uh, so I figured there's enough moms here. You'd back me up uh, for Thanksgiving week. My sons and I will be doing some work. So I won't be here then. Uh, well, I will be here on the 24th, but uh, probably we'll do a Thanksgiving prayer service or something like that. Because, you know, this morning I'm getting off, off page here. This morning was one of the best sermons I've heard in a long time. And we need to be reminded that what we are about is not lowering AC costs. What we are about is a people who belong to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and the President of Presidents. And what we need is to take the word of God in our hearts and trust the promises there and go forward with godly leadership, trusting that we can indeed take the steps of faith that are necessary and be the people who are doing the work of making disciples, making disciples, and winning the souls of Santa Maria, California. That is what we as Grace Baptists need. And so, praise Jesus. Sorry, got off topic. Uh, that will never happen again. <laughs> Let's pray one more time. Lord Almighty, God, we come before you and we pray because you are the sovereign God and you are the only one that it would matter we pray to. And you have called us to the throne of grace where we may find what we need in our time of need. And right now that is you. Lord, I pray that you would show up here. I pray that you would be among us, that you would pull away the scales from our eyes. You would pull out the cotton in our ears that would keep us from hearing. I pray that you would give us hearts of flesh and you would give us necks that can bend. And Lord, I pray that we would hear you and that you would show up and show us what it means to be the men and women of God that we need to be. For our joy, for your glory, and the growth of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. In 1976, Philadelphia Eagles coach Dick Vermeil took a gamble. And he allowed a man whose name was Vince Papali to show up at the Eagles' tryouts. 
to play for the 1976 season. Surprisingly, he made the team. Now, famously, Vince Papali, on a very early play, it may have been his very first, was on the special teams, and he ran down the field, and he got within feet of the kickoff returner, and he stopped. He hesitated. He waited. He didn't take that guy out. And so the play continued. He froze. He unintentionally helped the other team. Oh my goodness, talk about embarrassing. That's awful. Now, imagine, I mean, stay with the football imagery here. Imagine if you were a running back. You're the guy who gets the handoff from the quarterback, and because you don't like hurting people's feelings, right before you got to the end zone, you stepped out of bounds because you didn't want to hurt the other team's feelings by scoring a touchdown on them. That's ridiculous. That would never happen, right? I wonder how often Christians refuse to share the good news of God concerning Jesus because they don't want the other person to feel bad. This is exactly the message Satan wants you to receive. Don't be pushy. Don't be intolerant. Don't be so narrow-minded. Now, my friends, you don't need to be intolerant or pushy or narrow-minded to share the good news. In fact, if you really are going to share the good news of Jesus Christ, you don't need to be any of those things. It would help if you weren't. Instead, however, we need to eagerly share the good news of Jesus. Tonight, we are going to see that Paul was the kind of running back that would have made it into the end zone no matter how many tackles were on him. Tonight, we're going to see that Paul was the kind of guy who, if the other team received the football and the kickoff, he would have creamed that guy back into the end zone. I happen to think that's true. Paul may have been a short guy, but I bet he was buff. Today, we're going to see that no matter how else you want to cut it, Paul was asserting his willingness to play for the team to the best of his God-given ability, hoping that he can embarrass Satan's team in his lies. Because remember, grace is always opposed to earning, but grace is not opposed to effort. We're going to see that Paul values the effort, all the effort that he can give because the good news of God is that important. Open our Bibles to Ephesians, excuse me, Romans chapter 1, 14 through 17. Paul writes, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. And so I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the one who by faith is righteous shall live. Now, 
I want to break down the logical flow of this passage. I want to show you the logic, the steps that Paul takes in breaking this down. He begins, I am under obligation. And Paul, as he often does, he asserts the need to share the good news with as many people as possible. He is making it clear, red, yellow, black, white, poor, rich, slave, Free, man, woman, child, it doesn't matter. Everybody both needs and should have the good news preached to them. They might be an abortionist. They might be LGBTQ XYZ. They might be a really nice guy who doesn't know Jesus. All of them, all of us need to hear the good news of God concerning His Son. And so, he continues, I am eager to preach the Gospel. He wants to, he desires, he longs to go and give that good news to as many as possible. Why, Paul? Why do you want to share the Gospel so bad? For I am not ashamed of the Gospel. Now, I am not ashamed of the good news of God concerning his Paul, his son. Paul is eager to preach the good news because he is not ashamed. Now he knows there is plenty of reason to be ashamed from the perspective of those who don't want to hear it. But he wants to make it absolutely plain that he does not share that perspective. Why doesn't he share the perspective of you should be ashamed to share the gospel? He continues, For it, the good news of God concerning Jesus, is the power of God for salvation. Now, if you're a Sunday school graduate, if you've been going to school, Sunday school for a lot of years, or you grew up going to church or something like that, then you're used to thinking in terms of grace is Oh, you know, grace is that really nice feeling and has something to do with making us Christians. I'm not exactly sure what. Grace is power. Grace is God's power available to you. It is God's power to accomplish His kingdom's purpose. You and I need to be brought from death into life. You need to be rescued from the slavery to sin to be slaves of righteousness. You need to be enlightened because you were living in darkness. You need to be transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His beloved Son. And all of this takes power. And this power, says Paul, is triggered, is brought to task when a man or woman trusts the promises of God for them in Christ. Now, the gospel is the power of God for salvation. For in this good news, the righteousness of God is revealed. Now, how do we know that faith is what makes this power to accomplish kingdom purposes 
work? How do we know that faith is the tool that God uses to bring His power to bear in your life? Because we see the righteousness of God revealed. It is made manifest, as Paul says here, from faith for faith. Or as the NIV puts it, beginning and ending in faith. And everything in this verse needs to be unpacked. And we'll get there in a minute. But for now, I want to note one last thing. Paul is making some rather extraordinary claims with regards to what he's teaching. So he needs to give biblical evidence. And he does here. He says, the good news is the power of God so that his righteousness can be revealed just as it is written, the one who by faith is righteous shall live. And because this is true, we must, like Paul, eagerly share the good news of Jesus. Begin tonight. Start being eager to share the good news of Jesus. One way of starting that is by memorizing these four verses. Remarkably easy to do, actually, if you think about it, because number one, the Holy Spirit wants you to, and if you give it anything like the old college try, I think you'll probably make it. But number two, even if you don't get these verses memorized, if you take the time and energy to try, how is that going to hurt you? Begin tonight. And just so we can do that, so that you can have some understanding as you go, let's look at the two halves of this argument so that we can understand it. Starting in verses 14 and 15, Paul says, I am under obligation both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, and so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. So here we go. In order to answer the question, why is Paul under obligation to preach this good news of God concerning His Son to the Greeks and barbarians, we need to get a little bit of biblical context. We need to understand what is going on in the biblical prophet's mind to understand why he is under obligation. Paul, like Jeremiah, like Paul, also struggled because he had a burden. In fact, that's one of the words the Old Testament prophets use, this burden from the Lord. And this is how Paul, Jeremiah described his burden. He said in Jeremiah 20, verse 9, If I say I will not mention the Lord or speak any more in His name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. It's in there. And it's burning. By the way, do you have that? Do you have that burning? That you just really want to share the good news of Jesus Christ? Hmm. One solution, if you don't, is to pray and ask about it. Lord, give me this burning in my soul. And then... A second idea, if you don't, is start reading missionary biographies. I've spent re years reading missionary biographies to my boys, and I don't know if my wife knows this or not, but I've spent several dozen dollars buying missionary biographies for my daughters for her Christmas present this year. 
That's okay, right, sweetie? (laughs) Ask for God to give you that burning and then go look at people who have had that burning. Amos continued, The lion has roared who will not fear. The Lord has spoken who can but prophesy. In other words, God is like a lion roaring. You have to tell it. But it was true in the times immediately following Jesus' first advent. Right after beating them, the authorities called in Peter and John and they charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. By the way, notice what the content of their testimony is, what they have seen and heard. Can you Tell your neighbors, your near ones, about things that the Lord has done in your life? Of course you can. You don't have to have an advanced degree to do that. You just have to have a desire to love people. And Paul elsewhere, 1 Corinthians 9, If I preach the gospel that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. God the Father is the one who obliges Paul to preach. And just like other prophets, God commissions Paul to preach. Therefore, he must preach. Do you know that you have the same marching orders? Love God. Love those who are near you. Go into all the nations and as you are going, make disciples of all the nations. You and I have the same marching orders. And you and I have different opportunities to do it at different levels. We're going to have different abilities that you have that I don't have, for example. But the command's the same. Eagerly preach the good news. But it gets even more fundamental than that. And that's pretty fundamental. To whom was Paul under obligation to preach? The exact same people that you are. His near ones. The ones who were near him. Listen to Jesus in Luke chapter 10. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And the man answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, Bingo. Go. Do this and you will live. Paul understood that this love thy neighbor command is the one that he used to eagerly preach, eagerly share the good news of Jesus. Because how better to love them than to tell them the life-saving, eternal, life-giving message of Jesus. Begin tonight. Decide that you love someone who is near you that doesn't love Jesus, and begin praying for them so that you will be able to effectively share the good news with them. And as I was preparing this, as I was praying myself, what is this going to look like in my life, another verse came to mind. And I think that it's particularly important even for our church tonight. Paul wrote to one of his good friends, Philemon, verse 4, 
I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. Dude, thank you, Jesus, for Philemon. Why do I thank God for Philemon? Because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. Love God, love your neighbor. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective. Wait, wait, wait. What is the tool here? The tool that God is using is Philemon's sharing of his faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. You and I will prosper in part dependent upon how we eagerly share the good news of Jesus. Now don't get on on this idea, oh, I'm earning it, because that's not true. It is still God working in us and through us, but it seems to me here that the blessing is, If we aren't sharing, we are missing blessing. I wonder, is our prayerlessness, is our lack of savoring our time in God's word, is our inability to focus on things of Christ because we are being attacked by Satan, Or is it because we have not developed the taste that we need for these things? Because we have not actually seen that we need it. Because we're not sharing it with those who are around us. Here's one thing I can tell you from 20 plus years of walking in this walk. You will get beat up. People won't like it that you're sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with them. And they will ask you questions that you can't answer. It will happen. But you know what I have noticed about God? God is not so concerned about the inabilities of His servant. Because when His servants realize their inabilities, we become more dependent upon Him. Have you ever asked yourself the question, have you ever asked yourself the question, why do I still struggle with this sin? whatever this sin is for you, why does this keep on coming up? Well, if God's goal is to get a bunch of perfect people on earth, He's failing. Just look around you. Just look at you. But if God's goal instead is to get His people dependent upon Him, Wow, he has a pretty solid plan, doesn't he? I'll let you decide which way is right. Eagerly share the good news of Jesus. Begin tonight. Pray about those who are near you that God has put there for you to love by sharing the good news of God concerning Jesus. Pick one person and learn by praying for them, by entering into conversation with them. What are the things that they think about? What are the buttons that need to be pushed so that you can understand where they're coming from and bring the promises of God for them in Christ to them so that they can hear them, perhaps, clearly, for the first time? Then do it. 
As Paul says in verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the Gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And of course, Paul's protest, I am not ashamed, tacitly means he understands there's cause to be ashamed. Okay, serious. I want you to raise your hand. Have you ever been ashamed of, fearing, of sharing the Gospel? Raise your hand. Yeah. I'm raising both, notice. The struggle is real. And we're fools if we deny that the potential to chicken out of sharing the good news of God concerning Jesus isn't real. Paul does not deny the struggle here. He claims that he intends to win it. And it is the intention to defeat it that is the beginning. It is the intention to score that touchdown that is the beginning of actually scoring the touchdown. Now, does that mean you're going to score every touchdown? No, it doesn't. Does it mean that you're going to put your effort into it? Remember, grace is opposed to earning. Grace is not opposed to effort. But then a more important question comes why does Paul say here, salvation for everyone who believes? Why, why is faith necessary? Faith, trusting the promises of God for you in Christ, is the only thing you can do that takes the attention off of you and puts it on the one giving. Faith is the only thing that you can do that says, God, I can't do it. Help me. I love being reminded, having a four and a half year old, I am being reminded constantly, there's a lot of things that she can't do. And so, what does she do? Baba, will you do this for me? Actually, more often, Mama, will you do this for me? You know, Mama, I need the faith of a child. And trusting the promises of God for you in Christ is itself a gift. It is something that God gives you. Now, the illustration would be a doctor gives you some medicine. So you take the medicine and you get well. Well, you could say, well, I, I took the medicine and that's why I got better. Well, okay, analogies always break down at some point. But the point is, is that it was the medicine that helped your body to heal. Was it you? No, it was the medicine. Similarly, faith is the means, it is the tool that God uses, humanly speaking, to save people's soul because it's the one thing that we can do, quote unquote, without saying, hey, I did it. God, you owe me. That's about as blasphemous of a statement as anybody can make. If you can't come to God as, who, as a child who is scared and in need of a strong arm to hold her, then you haven't yet realized your position. You haven't yet realized your need for a doctor to give you the prescription to your S-I-N virus. You haven't yet realized your need for Jesus. And therefore... It's not going to help. 
Then Paul says something strange. He says, why, why, why this phrase to the Jew first and also to the Greek? I promise I will get to that, but it won't be tonight. I can't cover everything. This is a major theme in Romans. We will get there. You're going to have to be patient. How's that for an answer? Eagerly share the good news of Jesus. Don't be ashamed of the good news of Jesus. Begin tonight. Pray and ask God to give you the courage to speak to this person you're praying to, about. And start praying for them. Think about what does that person value? What are, what are some of the things that are hindering? Ask. Get into a relationship with them. Find out what makes them tick. And while you're doing this, pray for them. I was reminded this week, you cannot pray for somebody and sin against them at the same time. You cannot really, honestly, in fact, be praying for someone and sin against them at the same moment. So eagerly share the good news of Jesus. And now we get to the punchline, verse 17. For in the gospel, in this good news of God concerning His Son, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the one who by faith is righteous shall live. Okay, now let's get the elephant in the room out. What on earth does the righteousness of God mean? Oh my goodness, this is one of the big theological debates in Christian history. And I'm not even going to try to tackle that. I'm just going to give you my take. And if you want to debate, Pastor Benji lives right in that building over there. And you can go talk to him. My answer to this huge debate is Paul is alluding to the righteousness of God that is bestowed upon those who trust him. Paul is saying here, when he's talking about the righteousness of God, he's talking about that righteousness that God credits into your account when you trust his promises. So then, the next question is, what on earth is he talking about from faith for faith? Now, again, this is another question that's too big to tackle. I would have to have like a whole night on each verse. But in this case, I think that the New International Version does the best job of translating this phrase. They don't stick to the words of the verse, but they give the meaning. And the meaning is that this righteousness of God is revealed by faith from first to last. And here, Paul claims that the righteousness of God is revealed in such a way that you and I are declared righteous, if at all, because we begin by faith, we continue our lives by faith, and we will one day die and enter into Jesus' presence again by faith. The whole process, Paul says here, everything involved in this being one who is declared righteous, every aspect of it from our perspective is trusting the promises of God for us in Christ. 
But now to the most important question about this passage. And I have to say that this has bothered me for months. I knew that I was going to come to this. I knew that this point was going to come. And part of me hates it. And I want to tell you why. One of the most important goals of mine as a preacher is to make you absolutely confident that the Bible that you have in your lap right now is the Word of God. If you forget everything I'm about to say, I want you to remember the Bible that is in your lap right now is the Word of God. It is God's Word to you. And you can take it and bank your life and your eternity on it. And because this particular Bible is a work of mankind, there are times when it's not exact. And I hate saying that, and I have to say it in very nuanced terms. I want to retranslate part of the English Standard Version into what you see behind me. Now the ESV, in the text, if you're reading your Bible, it says at the end of verse 17, the righteous shall live by faith. The way that I've read it so far is the one who by faith is righteous shall live. Which is, by the way, the margin translation of the ESV. If you look on the side of your ESV, if it has margin notes at all, it'll say the one who by faith is righteous shall live. But I run into a problem. And the problem is two of the most popular alternative translations have it as the ESV text has it. The NIV says the righteous will live by faith. And the New American Standard says, but the righteous man shall live by faith. But again, in the New American Standard, which is famously a word-for-word translation, it has in the margin of the New American Standard Bible, but he who is righteous by faith shall live, which is exactly the word order that you find in the Greek of Romans 1.17. Nevertheless, the two other major translations agree with the English Standard Version, and... I, I have to say that. Now, two other major translations. The New English translation says the righteous by faith will live. And the New Living translation says it is through faith that a righteous person has life. So what I'm pointing out is that there is this debate. It's a live debate among Bible translators. And that's why I'm not really worried about disagreeing with the ESV. Because if you look around at Bible translators, there is this debate going on. And I'm just choosing one side of it. But in the Greek language, one of the things that you learn pretty early in your classes is that word order is very important. In Greek, they, can, they had a lot more fluidity than in English. They could put subjects at the end of the sentence if they wanted to, if for whatever reason they wanted to emphasize something else. And as the New American Standard puts it, the word order directly is, but he who is righteous by faith shall live. And three commentators 
including John Stott and Doug Moo, if you're keeping track of the Hall of Flame, have pointed out that this word order difference and the thought, the emphasis that is going on in this is enough to alter the translations that we see in the ESV and the NIV and some others. And so two of my translators that I'm relying on, Anders Nygren and John Stott, who is following Anders Nygren's work, is pointing out that this is a significant translation difference. The one who by faith is righteous shall live. Whew. Okay, I want you guys to wake up again. I just gave a whole bunch of stuff that some of you were starting to go away on. I understand that. I get it. Again, my job is to teach you that your Bible is enough for salvation. But sometimes the cookies can't all be put on the lower shelf. Okay, sometimes you need to have discussions that are up here. So now what I want to do is I want to help emphasize why it is that I think it's so important that we switch these two phrases that the ESV and the NIV and others switch. Anders Nygren and John Stott both agree that the first half of Romans is organized along the lines of this phrase, the one who by faith is righteous shall live. Let me show that in very quick order. 1, 1 through 15 in Romans is just basically the introduction. And then verses 16 and 17, he gives this phrase. He gives the theme that he is about to explicate in the book of Romans. You remember we said, Doug Moo a few weeks ago said that this is the text, Romans 1, 16 and 17, that the rest of Romans is a sermon designed to unpack. Well, part of that is you get to Romans 1, 18 to 320, and what you see there, can you go to the next slide? Next slide, please. Um, let's see. Now you, I want the slide that says, the one who by faith is righteous shall live. Not The one right before that, right before Luther. Um, Okay, just leave it. Um, yeah, I'll leave it there. So look at the margin notes there, that translation. We see in 118 to 320 this explanation that we are not righteous if we don't trust the promises of God for us in Christ. That is Paul's whole point in 118 to 320. And then starting in verse 21 through the end of chapter 4, we talk about, Paul talks about how the biblical evidence for the fact that righteousness is by faith. And he spends the chapter and a half talking about how significant it is that we recognize we are declared righteous by trusting God's promises. And then, something that really was a key for me to unlocking an understanding of Romans was understanding that chapters 5 through 8 is an explanation of the last two words in verse 117, shall live. In chapter 5, those who are by faith are righteous shall live free from God's wrath. Chapter 6, those who by faith are righteous shall live free from sin. Those who, chapter 7, are by faith are righteous shall live free from the curse of the law. Chapter 8, those who by faith are righteous shall live free from death and condemnation. 
And so we understand when we see the right translation there, we see how it unpacks the first half of Romans. Furthermore, I intended to preach this message the Sunday after Reformation Day. I want to quote Martin Luther. Because his entire theology, that's a little bit of a stretch, was started based upon this exact verse. And here's what he said. At last, by the mercy of God, meditating day and night, I gave heed to the context of the words, namely, in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. As it is written, he who through faith is righteous shall live. See? He translates it the same way as I've been translating it. And this is the meaning. The righteousness of God is revealed by the gospel, namely the passive righteousness, in other words, we are passive and God actively gives it to us, with which the merciful God justifies us by faith, as it is written, he who through faith is righteous shall live. My friends, this phrase and the unpacking that we see in Romans 1, 14 through 17 is a statement of the good news of God concerning his son. I said a couple weeks ago that Romans especially, but the New Testament and actually the whole Bible as a whole, gives many statements of the gospel, of the good news of Jesus. And this is one of them. That's giving a very specific bent on it. But properly understood, this phrase, he who through faith is righteous shall live, could be for you a start, a beginning of meditating, of seeking the heart of God for your neighbor. And it can go like this. You're laying on your bed. You've got nothing else to do. You're washing your hair, if you have any. And you're not consciously thinking of something. So it pops into your mind. He who through faith is righteous shall live. And you start applying it to yourself. You start thinking to yourself. My righteousness is based on my trust in the promises of God for me in Christ. My righteousness is based on me understanding God's promises and then beginning to live them. And if you do this prayerfully, not because Pastor Greg tells you to do it, but if you say, Lord, show me this, and you start putting this into practice, it will, He will guide you. So that you will, as we said at the end of last week, take every th thought captive. And you will begin to pray that then even for your neighbor. Lord, I pray that you would make Mr. Jones righteous by faith so that he shall live. Both of Mr. Jones is in here nodding. Yeah, I gotcha. I didn't mean to. <laughs> Begin tonight. Preach the good news of Jesus to yourself. Recognize he is your source of life. See God moving in you as you look to him for your life. And then you will be able to tell those who are near you what you have experienced. Don't worry about embarrassing the other team. Don't worry about embarrassing your team. Go out there. 
knowing that when you eagerly share the good news of Jesus, you are doing what God has asked you to do. He will be with you, and he will strengthen you to do it. Eagerly share the good news of Jesus. And Lord, we need strength to do this. And therefore, you have given us your word, and you have given us your Holy Spirit. Enable us to hear you because we are paying attention to you and then eagerly share with the people that you have put near us so that we can love them and thereby love you also. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for coming.